said, right? It was a pretty solid argument in favor of the truth of his statements. Um, and, and so James is um, the leader of the church in the world at the time. Uh, Peter had been, but Peter kind of took off and went into hiding when they were trying to kill him. Go figure. Um, and James took over. And, and James was affectionately known as James Camel Knees. I haven't mentioned this since the first sermon, but I'm going to say it again. I, uh, um, it's probably not a flattering image. I don't call your wife that. Um, but he was called James Camel Knees because he prayed all the time. And he prayed so much, like, like knelt down and he would pray, that his knees developed thick calluses. Um, and and um, they started to resemble camel's knees because camels sit on their knees, I guess. I don't know. I've never owned a camel. Do they have those in Montana? Can you eat them is the next question. Or can you hunt them? Um, so uh, James is a man who is all about prayer. It is very much the center of who he is. And amazingly enough, he closes the book with prayer, right? So it's this whole chunk on prayer, but it fits into everything else he's written. And we're going to kind of dig into that. Um, he, in the previous sections here, um, he talks about trials quite a bit. Um, he, he, uh, um, specifically at the beginning of the previous chapter, he talks about how these rich folks in the, uh, like around the Roman empire had been like oppressing poor people in particular Christians and how they were kind of incurring judgment on themselves. Um, and there was some bad stuff coming on them. Um, the sermon that followed that was all about looking for Jesus to come back and trusting that he was coming back and he was going to set things right. And the way that works is, right, like, so you're facing people who are mistreating you and your life is hard and miserable. Anybody relate to that ever? Anybody relate to that as Christmas is coming up? <laughs> um, and, and so, like, the difficulty in life. And then last week we talked about um, the follow-up to that. Life is hard, but Jesus is coming back. You're only renting in this world. You're not living here, right? You're passing through. This is not our permanent home. Heaven is our permanent home. And so as we watch like life, we look at the difficulty we have and we recognize, I'm not going to live with this forever. God's going to come and set it right. No matter who leaves us, no matter who cheats us, no matter who mistreats us, no matter who like, like makes our life hard or how it gets hard or, or anything that we lose or whatever, um, as long as we can sit and look to the future and say, Jesus is coming back and he's going to fix this mess, and we trust in that promise, um, we have hope, right? And hope is huge. Like, if you ever talk to somebody who's lost hope and doesn't think anybody's going to get any, anything's going to get any better, um, that's a crushing place to be. Um, and so then he follows up this watch Jesus and recognize he's going to set the scales right with pray. Guess what? They're connected. Right? Like if you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus and look forward, prayer is going to be a part of it. And prayer is a huge subject, um, and he kind of kind of shotguns it, and so we'll work our way through what he's talking about here. But I, I wanted to share, I, when I worked at the children's home, and everybody's probably heard me talk about the children's home so much, you're rolling your eyes now. Um, I, I would work with these kids, and, and you know a lot of them were in jail before they came to us or were drug addicts or whatever, and you talk to them about these things. And I heard some of the craziest stuff about prayer. And, and it was, it's funny how it is. Like, like I remember one time I, there was this kid we had. He was about that tall, and, and he, was, he was completely mental and um, just very difficult to deal with. And one day it was, it was really snowing, and the lake on the, on the property was frozen. And I, I opened the front door, and he ran past me. And I watched him go, and I thought, man, I really don't want to chase him. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe he won't go anywhere. Maybe he'll come back. And he just ran across the property, and he ran out on the ice. 
and he ran in circles on the ice, and I got on the radio. I'm like, hey, guys, we got a guy out on the ice. We need to go get him. And, and then he comes running back, and he went inside, and he stopped in front of me. He said, Chaplain Eric, that proves prayer doesn't work. <laughs> See ya. And I was like, what do you, you almost died. You know, there's that. I, so God didn't answer my prayer. Um, and, <laughs> and so I, I went in and I sat down. What are you talking about? He's like, well, I prayed this morning that God would never let me do something stupid again. And I just ran out on the ice. <laughs> yeah, that's reason. Um, <laughs> and, and in reality, prayer doesn't work that way, right? Um, it's, God's not a vending machine. Um, God isn't, isn't, you know, like, like my wife where I can sit on the couch and say, get me a sandwich, and one shows up magically a few minutes later. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> one day Abby will be old enough to make me sandwiches. Um, and so, and so um, you know, prayer, prayer isn't like that, right? Prayer isn't just... You know, I put my prayers in and I get my, I get my magic sandwich back. Like, it's not how the world works. It's not how God works. Um, prayer isn't a matter of if I just believe it hard enough or pray a big enough prayer, God will answer it. There's a book out right now, like uh, Audacious Faith or something like that. It's, it's ridiculous. It's all about how, like, the reason God doesn't answer your prayers is because you don't ask for big enough stuff. Okay. It's not the way it works. God's not a vending machine. God's not here to cater to us. Right? We're here to have a relationship with him, which is really the core of where we're going to go with this. Um, the second story I want to share about prayer in that setting, I talked to a young lady. Actually, I baptized her. She was a, she was a drug addict, and I, I baptized her the day before she left the agency. And um, I, I remember talking to her a couple, like for weeks ahead of time, about various topics, and one of them was prayer. And she said, Eric, you know what? The only time I ever pray, it's weird, the only time I ever pray, I prayed when I was sitting in jail that God would get me out. And he sent me here, and I found out it was stupid to pray for stuff like that because he gives you what you need, not what you want. Um, then I started following him, and I read my Bible. But for some reason, the only time I can pray is in the shower, on the toilet, and in bed. Anybody relate to that? <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I talked to him. I said, well, what's, what's toilet time worth to you? I mean, obviously, it's worth a lot if you don't get it. Right? But otherwise, it's time you're sitting. Right? I mean, it's time where, unless you brought reading material, there's nothing to do. So how much is it worth? Uh-oh. Dead on. You follow me with shower time, right? What are you doing? Follow me with bedtime? What are you doing? Like, and I, I tell her, I said, well, what are you doing here? She said, well, I'm giving God the very least of what I have. Um, when we pray, we pray because of relationship, right? We pray because we have intimate time with God. If the time I spend talking to my wife is the throwaway time, then my relationship with her is going to suffer, right? Actually, if I'm talking at all, it's probably going to suffer. I learned that. <laughs> I'm going to be in so much trouble later. Um, and so James, James says, listen, look to Jesus in the future, He's coming back. Have hope in that. Trust in his promises. And then he goes on. He says, if, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Now, um, it's kind of crazy because this is the beginning of the end of the book. The beginning of the beginning of the book was um, consider it pure joy when you face trials of every kind, right? Is that darn near impossible? Anybody ever have like something awful happen and think, yes. 
<laughs> I can test my faith. Well, this is the key to that, right? If you're suffering, you pray. Why do you pray? Because um, prayer in time of difficulty reminds us that God is there and reminds us that he's going to fulfill his promise, right? The beginning of the book is connected to the end of the book. Um, when we hurt, when we feel lost, when people around us hurt or feel lost, or when people die, or when people suffer, or when these things happen, um, we learn perseverance by going through it, but it's like owning a treadmill without jumping on it and running, right? Jumping on it and running is the workout. It's what makes you healthy. Um, Prayer is that. It's taking time to talk to God and say, here I am, this is what's going on. When we, is anyone cheerful? I'm, I'm, cheerful means of good mood, not necessarily the same thing as joy, right? But we sing praise at that time. Um, there's an interesting thing that, that I read this week. Um, we need God more, or we need to focus on God more when we're in a good mood and when things are going well than when things are hard. Um, because it's easy to forget when things are good, Right? You know, when I'm sitting on the couch and, I, and I'm not hungry, I don't ask my wife for a sandwich. <laughs> um, when, I, when things are going well, when my finances are fine, when I'm not depressed, when nobody's sick, when nobody's... It's easy to forget God, isn't it? It's easy to forget that he's there. It's easy to stop looking and stop saying, hey, can you come on over here? Can we sit and talk? Um, I think we can very quickly become the kind of people that all we do is go to him in suffering, Right? Hey, God, you know what I need now? Hey, God, I, I, I know it's been a while since we talked, but here's what I want you to do. Hey, I, I know, everybody following this? Like, prayer is something that saturates every part of our spiritual life um, out of necessity. Um, when we sing praise, like, ultimately, singing praise in a very basic sense is a type of prayer, isn't it? It's turning and saying, God, you are awesome. Like, God, thank you for this, like, beautiful day. Thank you for the place I live. Thank you for my family. Thank you for, for, for Montana. Thank you for, like, all of these things that God gives us. Thank you for my kids. Thank you for, for the fact that I have Jesus, like, and I'm not, you know, afraid of you because of my sins. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, prayer, like, it pours over everything, and it's a basic element of spiritual life. It's breathing for spiritual life. Um, and so hardship or, or, or joy, like suffering or, or times of, of worship and praise, um, in both we look to God. In both we talk to him. Um, and in both we find comfort. Is anyone amongst you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Um, so... First off, there's an assumption here. If a person's sick and they've got to have people come to them, how sick are they? They're pretty sick, right? So, like, James is pointing to, like, significant situations. Now, there's a bit of gray area in this verse because the Greek for sick could refer to physically ill, and that's probably the primary meaning, right? But in the New Testament, most of the time when it's used, it refers to spiritual illness, it refers to like being in a place where your faith is struggling or when you're in doubt or whatever. I'm going to back up and say James probably meant physical illness, okay? That having been said, I'm going to say that both are true. Everybody with me? Like when we are physically ill and when we are struggling spiritually, when we're in doubt or when we're dry or when we can't seem to find the energy to talk to God or when we can't seem to find the point where we care that much or when we're mad at God, because I get mad at God sometimes, I'm sure other people do, 
um, like when we're in that spot, we call on elders. This is a basic element of church organization. That is, um, it's a government position, but it's also just the spiritually mature in the church, right? An elder is a person who, like we have elections, and by the way, get your nominations to Carly. Um, we have elections and all that, but like Jimmy's going to go off the elders board. Um, one way or the other, if Jimmy's really an elder, like he may not be a voting elder, but he's still an elder, right? Jimmy is still a, a mature spiritual person who God has put in this church and the life of the people around him to like make an impact on him in his name and to represent him, right? And so when James says, listen, call on the elders, call on brothers and sisters in Christ who are mature, have them come and have them pray over you um, and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, here's a tricky one, <laughs> anointing with oil. Um, I read probably 35 pages in, in various books on this. And, and some folks say it's medicinal, right, because they, you would use oil as medicine because in the ancient world they didn't have a CVS or a Walgreens. We don't have one either, but we have a pharmacy. Um, but, but, you know, they, they would use oil as a medicine. And so there's a part of this where it's probably medicinal. But the way that James writes it, the Greek word, is associated with like a different kind of thing. Um, what you would do in the Old Testament, and, and the word in the LXX, which is like the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you don't really need to know that. Um, what you would do is, if something was set apart for God, right, you would anoint it with oil. So like when David is fighting Saul, David won't kill Saul because Saul was one of God's anointed. He was somebody that God picked and said, this guy's mine, right? Right before Jesus went to the cross, a woman came and poured oil and perfume on him, on his head. And anointed him is what that means. And it means, it refers to the idea of setting something aside purely for the purpose of God's service, right? And so as an elder comes and anoints a person and prays for them, they're recognizing that, you know what, you may be sick, you may die, right? But at the end of the day, if you belong to Jesus, if you belong to Christ, if you are like one of God's um, set apart, forgiven, covered with grace, covered with the blood of Jesus people, you are there for him right you're there for his purpose you may struggle you may like stumble you may fall on your face you may die most of you probably will i'm sorry for the bad news um but all of those things happen as a reflection of your service to god and so when you stumble you get back up and you keep walking why because jesus died for you and you can right when the world falls apart around you you get back up and you start walking again. Why? Because you can. Because Jesus died for you and his Holy Spirit fills you and is preparing you to walk upright. Um, and so when we anoint, part of what we're doing there is, and part of what we do when we pray is recognize, like, I don't belong to me if I belong to Jesus. Right? My life is not my own. My, my everything is not my own. It all belongs to Jesus. And so part of this anointing thing is about backing up and recognizing this person is ill, but they belong to Jesus, period. Um, James goes on in verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, this is a tricky passage, and I, I thought about skipping it. Um, <laughs> but James put it in there, so I can't. Um, the prayer of faith will save one who is sick. Um, is he saying that if you have enough faith, everyone will be healed? No. 
right? Because ultimately, I can be healthy and live for a long time. If I don't know Jesus, I'm not in good shape once I die, right? Like, I, 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 I you know, ultimately, me being well is about me being right with Jesus. Does prayer change things? Yes. Does God answer prayer sometimes? Yes. Does he answer it every time? Sometimes he says no, I think, right? Sometimes we pray and pray and pray and bad things happen anyway. Why? Because we live in a broken world. Um, but, but, now this is in context of the previous argument. He says, keep looking at Jesus' promises, right? And so when we pray and when we're str- sick, right, we recognize that his promises are true. We're saved in the reminder that Jesus died for us and that we're redeemed and that we belong to him. Um, and the Lord will raise him up, um, meaning that God might bring us back. He might not, but ultimately raising us up is bringing us back in the last days. Um, it's the resurrection at the end of time to be reunited with him. Um, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, there's two parts to this. There is a case to be made that sometimes when folks get sick, it's because of sin, Right? Like, I don't think it's all the time. In fact, if you read Job, the basic message of the book of Job is just because bad things happen doesn't mean you're bad. God doesn't make bad things happen as punishment, right? But we see in the New Testament hints that sometimes people become sick because of sin in their lives, because God is kind of kicking their butt, right? Has God ever kicked your butt? There's such a theological way of saying that. (laughs) Has God ever, like, shook you up a little bit to remind you of how bad you're rebelling? Um, and then you back up and you're like, oh, well, maybe I should start praying again. Maybe I should start, like, following him again. Um, it is the case that sometimes that happens. And sometimes, like, we need to be forgiven. Um, sometimes we need to go to God and we need to repent and we need to forgive or be forgiven. Um, but beyond that, there's, there's a reminder here. Like, sickness, health, everything. We're, we're forgiven because Jesus died for us. We pray and we look to him because Jesus Christ, God's only son, was tortured, was nailed to the cross, um, died in agony for you to take punishment for the sins we've committed. And as we pray, every time we pray, and honestly, I try every time I preach, I want to remind you, it's all about that. Jesus died for you. We're called to follow him. Um, And so when we're sick, if we're reminded you belong to him, remember your sins are forgiven. Um, 516, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Um, All right, so the first half of this um, is a direction. When we pray for each other, part of what we're supposed to do is confess, right? I don't know about y'all, but I love confessing stuff in my head and not telling people that I've sinned. Can I get an amen? Like, is it just me? (laughs) Um, The reality is that there's this um, phrase that that you come across in AA sometimes, you're only as sick as your secrets, right? When you have a big pile of sin and you keep it hidden, it's going to grow, right? Confessing to one another has power. Um, It has power to remind us. It has power to create accountability. It does awesome stuff in our lives in a very practical way. Um, As James directs them to confess to each other, and to pray for one another, I think he's stepping somewhat away from the topic of sickness, and he's saying, guys, this is how you live spiritually, right? Confession to each other and praying together is a part of spiritual life. It's a part of prayer. Um, It's a part of what we're supposed to be doing. 
It's easier to bury stuff and pretend it isn't there. It's harder to live in community. And here's why, honestly. If I sit down with... Um, if I sit down with Jeremy and I tell him all about, like, a wicked thing I'm struggling with, right? Um, I have put myself in a position where I am hugely vulnerable to Jeremy. Isn't it true? Any of y'all ever told folks about sins you've committed and then they went out and <laughs> shared it with the world? <laughs> You're like, thanks a heck of a lot, right? Um, it's awful. It just is. It's awful. Um, vulnerability is difficult because when you talk about where you struggle and where you need to be closer with Jesus, when you put that out there, you put yourself out there. And it's not easy, but it's fundamental. It's foundational. It is at the base layer of Christian community, right? You want to find folks that are struggling with each other, find folks who are keeping a lot of secrets. You'll find folks that don't know how to get along anymore. You see it in marriages, you see it in families, you see it all over. Like, secrecy is not healthy. It's not intimate. In fact, actually, when Adam and Eve fell, what was the first thing they did? Covered up, right? I think that's, that's what really happened, but it's also representative of something that's really going on. When we have things to be ashamed of, we hide them. When we hide in our shame, it separates us. It draws us away from the people around us and isolates us. Um, community in Christ, being together, being the body of Christ, involves confession and prayer um, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, by the way, that you may be healed is still an assumption that sometimes illness is associated with this, right? But there's a spiritual end to this. Like healing spiritually sometimes involves leaning on each other. Um, it sometimes involves confessing. Sometimes involves throwing up some of the hate and anger that we've got balled up inside us. Um, the prayer of a righteous man is great power as it is working. One of the most, like, quoted out of context passages ever. You oftentimes see where folks will use this verse and not the sections before it and not the sections after it. Because it makes it sound like if you just have a lot of faith, God's going to answer your prayers no matter what. Is that true? Sort of. Here's how it's true. When Abby asks me for things, right, sometimes it works very well. We have a box of candy on the top shelf in our cabinet, of our cabinets, right? It's so far up there, Jess can't get it, I don't think. If Abby wants that candy, she can't get it herself. There's no amount of building chairs on top of each other she can do because she's not tall enough, right? So who does she ask? Jess, Dad. Dad has the keys to the candy because I'm tall. And so when she asks, if it is my will that she has candy, what does she get? Candy. If it is not my will that she gets candy, what does she get? Nothing. <laughs> nope. <laughs> In reality, like faith, like mature faith, is learning to see things from God's perspective and trust that he's going to act the way he's going to act according to his will. And so part of what makes prayer effective as it's faithful, is learning to line our hearts and our minds up with his will. And when we pray according to his will, we can do great stuff. But it's not for me, right? And so I could pray every day until I turn blue um, and dead for a gold-plated hot tub in my office. Every day. I could have huge faith and believe it's going to happen. Guess what? It ain't going to happen. <laughs> because it's not God's will that I have a hot tub in my office. Nobody wants to walk in on that. Um, I read a story, I, I read a news story, I'm not even kidding, I read a news story this week about a pastor in Africa 
who decided that God would let him walk on water if he had enough faith, and he promptly drowned in front of his congregation. Um, guess what? His power and God's power, completely different, right? And he was not lined up with what God wanted. If God wanted him to walk on water, would he have? Absolutely. Did God want him to walk on water? Apparently not. <laughs> um, and so when it says a prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, what he's talking about is, like when we pray for forgiveness, we pray for like God to act, we pray for healing, we pray for all of these things. When we line our hearts up with God, when we line our will up with God, we can do great things. When we're not, we can't. It's like Abby lining her will up with mine. When she figures out how to do it, she can do great stuff. Everybody with me? Um, ultimately, this is, by the way, going to point back to the previous section. Look forward to the future. God is coming back. God's fulfilling his promises. It echoes throughout this passage. Uh, 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Um, with a nature like ours means he was human and he was sinful. Everybody there? Um, the reason that James does this, and it's very countercultural, it was popular at the time to talk about Elijah because he was awesome, right? Elijah prayed and fire fell from heaven and killed people. Like, Elijah was, you know, the kids made fun of him. He prayed, and no, that's Isaiah, right? Sorry, wrong guy. Elijah was, Elijah was amazing. Elijah, like, heard God's voice. Like, like, I mean, he was there. He was that guy. And people would talk about how larger than life I, Elijah was. So he's doing, referring to Elijah as very popular at this time in history, but he's not doing it by saying, look at how awesome Elijah was. He's saying Elijah was just like us, right? Elijah was just like us. Um, he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Um, I think if Elijah lived in our town, the farmers would beat him up every summer. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Um, why does he talk about this? Why, first off, he says, Elijah wasn't anything special, but what he was, was aligned with God's will, right? I have a hammer in my toolbox. Nathan Merrill called it a girl's hammer. But it is a hammer that I've used to break stuff, right? It's a hammer that can do, like, like pretty impressive stuff. I can hang pictures up. I can you know, hit my thumb, I can, you know, and I, I've broken stuff with it. Like, like that hammer is only powerful when it's in my hands, right? If the hammer wants to do something on its own, it's going to sit in the garage. Um, ultimately, Elijah prayed, and it was powerful because of God's will, because it, he was aligned with God's will. When I pray, and it's powerful, it's because I'm looking to God's will, and I'm asking in that direction, and I'm looking forward to the future and saying, you know what? God's going to do what he says he's going to do. God's going to come back. Jesus is going to set the scales right. But ultimately, that's how it works. And it's a product. This aligning ourselves with God is a product of a lot of prayer and a lot of study and a lot of pursuing God and a lot of pouring ourselves out with him because it's just not that easy to do. When Jess and I first got married, we fought a lot. Amen? <laughs> um, we fought a lot. As time has gone by, we have learned to not fight. You know why? We spent a lot of time together. We've learned how to like line our wills up. Is that about right, honey? Um, the beginning of our relationship with God often resembles this, right? We start out with our wills not aligned. I want what I want, and God wants what he wants, and usually they're pointed about this way. And as God changes me, he doesn't move. Who moves? Me. How does he change me? Prayer. 
me leaning on them in hardship, the whole nine yards. Um, some people are magic, and they don't fight when they first get, get together, but most normal people um, <laughs> don't have that blessing. James 5, 19 to 20, last two verses. Um, my brothers, if anyone amongst you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James finishes talking about prayer, and this could have been a separate sermon, but I didn't want to do it. Um, the closing line is a call to action, right? So he says, hardships are coming, look to Jesus, pray all the time, and line your will up with God through prayer. And he closes with, guys, get out there and do it, right? Get out there and act. I have never been on a football team. I, I athletically decline. I've never sat in a locker room for a talk, right? They do those, right? Like sports teams. I'm betting that the first half of the talk is usually a lot of, this is what you guys need to do better. This is what you guys need to work on. This is what you need to do next. And then it closes with, now get out there and win. Isn't it true? This is James ending with, get out there and win. He says, there are folks around you that don't know Jesus. There are folks around you that are rebelling against God. People you know and love have wandered from the truth. Go out there and bring them back. And if you do, you're going to save their souls. It's easy to misread that, by the way. You will save his soul from death, and it will cover a multitude of sins. It's not talking about me. Like It's not like, oh, if I save people, I'll go to heaven. No, um, we can save people from drowning. We can save people from facing God without Christ. Um, and that covers a multitude of sins. And so James finishes it up with, now get out there and do it. Get out there and win. Get out there and live the life that Christ died for you to live. Look to heaven because he died for you to go there and bring as many people in as you can. We're going to close in prayer. My challenge for you this week is, um, honestly, is to look at your prayer life. Is to look at the time you spend talking to God. Um, is it that like 20-minute section in the middle of the service, it seems like? Um, is it in bed? Is it on the toilet? Is it in the last scraps of the day that I don't care about any way God can have? Or are you talking to him? Are you seeking his will and aligning your heart with him? Like, Are you developing intimacy and shared purpose with God? Are you becoming more and more his person every day? Are you living for your own thing and are you breaking everything along the way? Because it's easy to do that, isn't it? We're going to close in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, and help us to recognize um, how much we need you, how much we need to talk to you, how much we need to open ourselves up to you, how much we need to pour our hearts out to you, and, and Lord God, just be, be emptied of our own will and filled with yours. Um, um, less of us and more of you, Lord. Um, I pray that you would help us to, to grow as people who lean on you and who walk in your will. In Christ's name, amen.